slash and cast. All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, Angelique makes her return, so I know you'll all be happy about that. And Angelique and I chat with actor Eric Allen Kramer about taking a punch from John Goodman, American Wedding, and that awesome dance scene, theater, Mel Brooks, musicals, men in tights, and more. As always, thanks for listening. Make sure to send us those screenshots of your reviews on your podcasting platform of preference to get yourself a shout out. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Blimey, these are hard to get on. Let's face it, you gotta be a man to wear tights. Well, how me seems? Perfect. <laughs> Every time. We're men, we're men in tights. We roam around the forest looking for fights. We're men, we're men in tights. We run from the rich and give to the poor, that's right. We may look like sissies, but what would you say or else we'll put out your lights? We're men, we're men in tights. Always on guard defending the people's rights. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Why don't you just take us back in time to when you were a youngster? And were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? Oh, Lord. If you could talk to my parents, I think it would be all of the above. It's quite something, hindsight, to look back on it now. At the time, I, th- I, I just always thought I was hilarious and clever. But now looking back on it, I kind of wince at some <laughs> of the stuff I did. What kind of stuff were you reading? What kind of trouble were you getting into? Yeah, I was always sort of a big fantasy, science Mm. fiction. That's always where I gravitated. Horror, thrillers, that sort of thing. I think the very very first thing that I ever wrote, I wrote back in elementary school, and uh, I was fooling around with my parents' Super 8 movie camera Mm. back in the day. And the first (laughs) thing I ever wrote was this incredibly silly little horror movie. I had no idea what I was doing. Couldn't edit it, any of it, you know, couldn't edit any of it together. I I think even then as a kid, it's always been about telling stories and that sort of thing. And that's always been, that's, I, you know, it's, it's always been, I guess, a natural progression towards acting, directing. I was always, I guess vampires were always my thing. I always thought Barnabas Collins was cool as hell. Uh, He is. Show, but not just very suave. Uh, <laughs> not just the show, but the the comic books through the Spider-Man backdoor. 
Yeah, I guess it's always been, I've just always had kind of a love for it. Where do you point towards your own interest in the arts arising? Were your parents involved in stage or anything like that? Oh, no, 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 no. I stumbled into that all on my own, very much against my parents' wishes. It took them, my dad especially, took quite a while for them to sort of come around that I was uh, serious about it. I, I think the real interest came late. I went into high school not wanting to pursue being an actor or even anything in the arts. I wanted to be a graphic designer. I had an extra class in my first year of high school. Uh, I took a drama class and I met this one teacher, Bill Chin, who literally changed my life. Just kind of opened my eyes to uh, what being an actor really was. He was the guy that I think convinced me that I could do it and help push me along and so he was that was really pivotal in my life meeting him and just sort of being brought into that where having that world opened up so when you started having real success acting did you ever meet see that guy again no what my first year of high school was the only year we had him and he mm. wound up leaving after that year. And so there were a couple of other drama teachers that rotated through. I did, when I got accepted into the theater program that I wanted to get into, I did get a hold of him and I thanked him and was just very grateful that he got me to where I was. Right. I feel like everybody has that one teacher that they can look back on and say, that guy or lady helped me out. You know, it's a good thing to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your very first time on stage, did that go off without a hiccup? Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> um, it's. I mean, my very first time on stage was junior high, but drama to me was always, it was just a fun thing to do. It, it never dawned on me that it could actually be a, a career. My very... My very first professional job out of theater school, my very first paid official, I'm a working actor gig. I got one of the worst reviews I have ever received in my entire career. Oh no. In the paper. I had, and I, I mean, brutal coming right out of the gate. The other reviews of the show were were much kinder, but man, I had I had this one that it was just like laid me out. So uh, no, by no means, by no means smooth sailing. <laughs> and of course, theater school school, it's an opportunity to you know, it's a real opportunity to to get to fall on your face. So to flop around and stumble around there is more sort of a learning process. But it wasn't until it wasn't until I got <clears throat> my first paid gig that it was like oh my goodness this, uh, okay so this isn't going to be a cakewalk so what were some of your personal favorite roles to play during your time on stage oh man there's a bunch that's like asking what's your favorite movie it depends on on the day i had i'm from the states but my father played professional football up in canada mm, okay so the family followed him to Canada. I got all my education up there and I got my uh, I got my theater training uh, up there. And so what was great about 
working in theater in Canada was at the time, I always like to joke and say it was a, it was a country desperately in search of an identity, but it, 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 it wasn't it wasn't that so much as they were really looking for Canadian voices to talk about the Canadian experience. So there was all this grant money for playwrights and anybody with a strong vision. So there was so if you weren't doing original works on stage you were constantly doing workshops developing these ideas and it was a really exciting it was a really exciting wonderful time it was a real when i was there and i was working in theater it was a real sense of community you felt like you were part of something much bigger than yourself so that was certainly for me really one of the one of the most exciting times of my life so are we talking mid 80s is that the time frame we're looking at yeah back when we were riding dinosaurs pretty much <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I graduated theater school in 84, so uh, that whole, and I moved to Los Angeles in 88, 89, so that whole 84 to like 88 was that. I mean, uh, primarily working in theater and really happy. You get the odd film gig if it came around, but that was never the, uh, that was never the focus. And it also wasn't as available as down here, obviously, but it was just being part of that, uh, just being part of that community was uh was really just a great experience in every sense acting as you know is uh you're in school all your life you'll never be great at it you'll always be learning so it was a great period of of growth for me just trying to figure out whatever this instrument is <laughs> speaking of your instrument does uh, your approach differ depending on whether you're on stage or on screen when you're playing a character no, it's all the same approach and it really boils down to it really boils down to listening and reacting. Every approach to characters the same theater, it's more of a a story beginning to end. Film is certainly that, but it can be shot out of sequence as you know and uh, it's not you don't necessarily get the through line all at once that you get. Uh, that you get in stage. So, uh, so yeah, so then it, I guess that differs in the sense of it's, you know, it's not like a golf swing where you get the full backswing and get to and get to come through. It's more like you're, you know, you shoot connecting with the ball first and then go to stance. And then, so I guess that's what I've always loved about sitcoms were I always found sitcoms were the closest thing to uh, being on stage. Was you rehearsed, shot in front of a live audience, and generally, for the most part, you're shooting everything in sequence, from scene A to scene whatever to the to the tag at the end of the show. And sitcoms have been my bread and butter. Uh, I mean, honest, honest to God. I mean, that's been sitcoms that gave me a career i would say that for me has always been the best combination of of both worlds well said well you mentioned sitcoms so we got to go there uh <laughs> i want to ask you how it felt to get knocked out by dan connor <laughs> it was great that was the very first that was my very first show after I officially moved to L.A. Wow. So, so once I had my apartment and I was there and it was the very first gig I got. And it was my very first sitcom, too. It was fantastic. I always said I wanted wanted to be John Goodman when I grow up. He was so great. Everybody on that show, great. I did it in like their first 13 episodes before they even realized they were picked up for the back end. But they knew that they had something. So, yeah. 
yeah, so uh, I went in and uh, and took my shots. Now, cut to, thir- that was 33 years ago, by the way. So Oof. 33 years later, and this is happening in a week, I get a call from the Connors, and they want me to come in and guest and play that same character I played back on <laughs> Red Man 33 years ago. So that's like... That's, that's awesome. <laughs> pickles me to death. That's like that's like the whole career coming full circle. So I'm I'm really excited. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's one line. I don't care if I walk on and it's a psych gag at the end. Just just to be able to do that puts the biggest smile on my face. Wow. So that was your first professional screen gig, period? No, no, my first professional. I had done Thor before that, and that was The Incredible Hulk Returns. So that was the that was the thing that got me to L.A. After I'd shot that and I moved out here, then that was my that was my very first gig. And I'd never done a sitcom before. I mean, I couldn't have been any more green or terrified for that matter. <laughs> It, it was just a great experience. So to be able to go back and I want to say sort of put a period to it, but that's not really what that is. It's just it's it's nice that it's nice that whatever it was left enough of a mark on somebody that they went, you know, what would be hilarious is to have that guy come back. So we'll not, see. not many shows get the opportunity at all to chase down a 30 year old storyline. You know, it's just, <laughs> just some it's wild to think about, really. Yeah very excited about it how did that transition from stage to screen happen to you for the first time well i mean it was moving from a community where stage was your bread and butter Mm -hmm. that's how you earned a living to a community where the exact opposite was true it was all film and television i was part of a part of a theater rep company here in la called antius for a while founding member of that group fellow who played my father on Down Home, Dakin Matthews, put it together. The idea being that how do you how do you put together a, a repertory company in a city where the prime focus is film and television? So we experimented with a bunch of double and, and triple castings and wound up doing a show called The Wood Demon, which is like Uncle Vanya with guns at the Taper Theater. I think to Dakin's credit, he proved that you absolutely could do that. So I'm surprised that I, I'm actually quite surprised that that idea hasn't taken a stronger hold now is theater something you're still interested in or take part in yeah i you know it it's more just sort of about telling stories and get to play whatever reform that takes i've always loved theater i'm not not of the belief that you know theater first before everything else although i will say if you want to be an actor you absolutely need to get your feet on the boards and be part of a community like that and really get a feel for what that is and for telling a story live in front of people company of people that are there to support you as you support them i think it's a necessary step for being a well-rounded actor to have that experience but honestly at at this point in the game it's just where they'll wherever they'll hire me i'll go Just I hear you. Feel that. <laughs> whatever. Where does fight choreography come into the picture for you? I was a fight choreographer in Canada, and I taught fencing and did a lot of uh, stage combat up in Canada. Taught a lot of workshops and everything from hand to hand to swords to to whatever, and did a little bit of it here in LA. But uh, it was just the community was just too 
big. There was just too many people who who did it. But it was always something that I had in my, uh, it was always something that I had in my back pocket. Discovered that not only did I have a love for it, but I was actually pretty good at it. So uh, as you can see, is, can you see the sword hanging? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> got a, gotcha. Got a like, collection of swords hanging around here somewhere. So obviously you have a, a lot of experience in theater, but did you have much experience with musicals prior to Robin Hood Men in Tights? I don't know why they like to get big uncoordinated guys with no voice singing and dancing i've never been able to figure that out it's precious i've never, I've never been a singer i'm certainly not coordinated but i have done i have done more musicals in my life from tap dancing to ballroom dancing to the to the kick line in in men in tights i guess people just like the visual because God knows I've done it more than than I should ever have been allowed. As fans, we thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was the greatest time of my... I mean, that show, oh my God, Men in Tights was like... We called it Camp Brooks because we just could not believe that we got paid to do that. Get up in the morning, ride horses, shoot arrows, tell jokes. I mean, listen to Mel's stories forever, which were always fantastic. Just the greatest job on the planet. And that dance, I think we threw together, I think we threw it together in the morning and shot it in the afternoon. And we, <laughs> we choreographed it. It took like half a day to choreograph and then like no time at all to shoot. It was super fun, super fun. Was there a lot of takes on that set? Did you have to redo a lot from laughing or? I don't remember a lot. I don't remember a lot of takes. I think mostly because Mel just instilled fear in all of us. Nobody wanted to like mess up. Nobody wanted to mess up his film or mess up. One of my favorite lines of his right before cameras would roll is he would go, some of you are going to be in Men in Tights too. Some of you are not. Action. <laughs> And uh, I, and look, I mean, it was just, I mean, he's the man. I mean, he just, he just represents a time in this industry that we will never, ever see again. Just the greatest guy. Learned so much from him. It wasn't that, you didn't want to mess up. You wanted to deliver the best possible job for him. So was that a, a typical audition for you or was it a right place, right time situation? Oh my God, absolutely right place, right time. I kept going in to audition. The very first time I auditioned for him, made him laugh, it was all great. Casting person pulled me aside and said, listen, uh, he really likes you, it's, it's, it's all good, but he really wants celebrity, like an athlete to play this role. I went, okay, all right, that's fine. He kept calling me back in and there was a football player he was looking at, but he kept bringing me back in. And so I, boy, I went in a bunch of times and finally for the last audition, I thought, well, what can, I mean, he's seen, I mean, I'm a real one trick pony. I mean, okay, <laughs> so he's seen my stuff. So what was, so what do we do that puts this over the edge? And so I went to a, I went to a makeup store and I got a ton of crepe hair and I laid a huge beard on my face back in this apartment that I was living in. Now the apartment that I was living in, it was like a little two story condo. I got to be down at his office at like four. It's already like two and I'm just sort of finishing up the beard. And I realized there's something I bought that I got to get out of my car down in the parkade. I go running out of my uh, apartment, little lobby outside, and I hear my door close. And I suddenly realize that I don't have my keys. Oh, and no. I can't get back in, which means 
I can't get in my truck, which means I can't get to the audition, which means so now I'm in full blown panic mode. The landlord and the people that were there for the building weren't answering. Like there was no way I could get into my place. I'm full blown panic. And I go, well, what, what the hell? And then I think up on the second floor, I think, okay, I, I think I've left the slider to my bedroom door open, but now I got to get there. So I go and I knock on my neighbor's door and she opens the door and she sees me and I'm in all, I've got like all this hair. I look like a caveman. And I said, look, I explained to her the situation. And I said, I think my slider in my bedroom door is open. Do you think I could climb up on your balcony and see if I can swing around to get into my place? And she goes, it's a long way up. I said, yeah, I know. So there was like parking garage, the first floor, second floor. So really it's like three stories up from <laughs> concrete. So I go up to her balcony and the balconies are such that the divider goes all the way to the edge. So you can't like climb on the edge and there's nothing to grab onto. So I, I, I step up onto her balcony and I sort of try and look around the corner and it's thick flipping wall. This goes to how, you know, how badly do you want the role? So I'm looking down and it, it's concrete, three stories down. And I climb up and I'm trying everything I can to like, see if there's a safe way to get around. And there, there just isn't. So the only way I realize I'm going to be able to do this is to try and hang on the wall and try and push myself off in a way that I can, can just throw myself around. But it's a commitment. It's a commitment move. Yeah. Like there been, like you can't go halfway and go, oh, this was a bad idea. I'm going to go yeah. back. Like, Point of no return. You're either going or you're not. So I'm standing up on her balcony railing. I've got my round and I, I'm just like, you're going or you're not going. Throw myself around and I just, I barely make it. My thigh hits the top of my railing on the other side. And I, it was inches away from sliding down and hanging off my railing or going over. So I hit it and go and tumble butt overhead, like up into my balcony. And sure enough, the slider was open, thank God. So I, so I got back in the room, I got all my stuff together, got down, drove, and I'm still, the heart is still doing this yeah. all the way. <laughs> To his office. I get in there, and uh, of course, now I start to doubt. Oh, God. Uh, so maybe the beard is a stupid idea. Maybe I look like theater school kid. Maybe I look like maybe this was the wrong. Maybe I've just killed my chances for this. I walk into his office, and he looks at me, and for a beat, there's like a blank expression on his face, and he puts his head back and he howls with laughter, <laughs> howls with laughter when he sees it. And he comes up, and I got, I was pretty good at laying it on. Like it looked really good. And he came up and he inspected it and he was laughing and joking about it and tugging on it. It put him in such a great mood that when I read the scene again, he was laughing at the jokes like he had heard them for the first time. When I left, I was like 98% sure that. And you made Mel Brooks laugh. I mean, who can say that? Yeah, he, I, I, I swear to God, just the greatest guy on the, just the greatest guy on the planet. He did a few episodes of Mad About You, but there was one episode where uh, he needed a, uh, a couple of interns at a hospital to do a dance number with him. And so his assistant called me and goes, so listen, Mel wants to know if you want to just come down and dance with him on Mad About You. And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we went down. Mickey Rooney's son chore choreographed the routine. It, it was so much fun. But yeah, I abs absolutely love that man. Do you think if your sliding door would have been closed, you would have just broke it at that point? <laughs> yeah. It would have been a broken slider at that point. Because where are you going to go?
It's either that or just you over know? the edge, give up. <laughs> there's, just, there's no way down except to call the fire department and have them come bring a ladder. You know, the clock's ticking. Like, I got to get down to my car so I can drive the flipping hour and a half in L.A. traffic to get down there. But, yeah, so that was the things the things we do for a job. Did you ever tell Mel about your stunt? To get yeah, the- <laughs> when, we were on, when we were on set, I said I knew I was either going to get this role or kill myself. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> he, he thought that was funny, too. Uh, it was great. It was always great when you could make him laugh. And all you did was just sit at base camp and just keep your mouth shut and listen to stories. Right. Were you guys given a lot of room to improv or was it by the book? I think it was a decent mix. I mean, there was, look, he definitely had in his head how the jokes played. Mm-hmm. But there was stuff, but there was all sorts of stuff like when Robin Hood sings his song to Marion that we improv the whole backup dancer sequence uh, <laughs> in the back. He let you know very quickly where the line was, <laughs> where, where, and you always needed to be back of the line. He didn't want you going rogue, but still at the same time, he hired you for a reason. So exactly. he, he let you bring whatever it is you felt you had to bring. Uh, you kind of mentioned this already, you know, Mel's old school from a different generation and then of Hollywood will we'll never see that kind of guy again. Nor will you see my generation again. It's interesting. I'm old enough now that I'm now the previous generation of where we are now. Insane. I mean, if we had, as actors, back in my day, if, if we had what's available to everyone now, where literally you can put together a movie on your computer. You have so many different avenues to exposure and and things that you can do to promote yourself and, and get out. And it's a, it's a completely different business now than when I was starting out. And with Mel being someone that's an old school director, how does his style differ from someone, quote unquote, modern you've worked with? I don't know if he, if it's necessarily different. I mean, it's all sort of just comes back to telling a story, right? right? I think the difference now is that directors now have so much more at their disposal just in regards to equipment, CGI. Like There are more options now. And so the canvas is much bigger. But right. really, it's just it all comes back to what you see. There's just more crayons in the box now. Just in terms of uh, you dancing, we have to touch on American Wedding. (laughs) (laughs) How did you guys uh, coordinate that dance off? That was, we just went in and sort of, I think we choreographed that over the course of a couple of weeks, sort of a day here and there. Uh And we shot it, I think we shot it over the course of a day and a half. Just an absolute blast. (laughs) And why, I'm honestly amazed that I I don't have more knee problems than (laughs) I do uh, from throwing myself around over the course of my career. Now, there had to be several takes on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, but just all different <laughs> angles and kind yeah, of, yeah. And, uh, and and all the rest of it. But it was it was way fun. And I think they had, I think Sean got an MTV award for best dance or something. I think out of all of that. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, there's the bachelor party scene where you're trying to conceal those assless caps <laughs> from the in-laws. <laughs> First of all, there's nothing quite like getting fitted for assless chap, <laughs> which, my God, only in this business. You know, I'm getting fitted for the assless chaps and the producers have got to give the okay on it. 
So really, the final viewing was me bent over a table at <laughs> one end of the room with the costume people, you know, with the flaps that are going to open and all the producers standing at the other end of the room staring at my butt and the costume people opening and closing going more, less, more, <laughs> less. I had a butterfly put on one of my cheeks at makeup. So makeup consisted of me walking in and bending over the table and getting the butterfly applied and getting my butt powdered and, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm really just in this business for the glamour. And uh you have to be. <laughs> the things we do for art. So much fun. So Eric, you've done your fair share of television and film. What are some of the differences that you have to deal with on set as an actor and do you have a preference? Sometimes it just boils down to time. Certainly, it's like it's like what I said before. The beauty of sitcoms is you get a chance to rehearse, you get a chance to try stuff. Whereas if you're doing a 1-hour or even a movie, maybe you get to rehearse a little bit, but it's it's pretty much all in the moment. Like you come prepared, you do your homework, but you don't get like you don't get 3 days of of rewrites and running scenes over and over. So sometimes it's it's real factory mode where you're just churning the scenes out. It's all fun, but I I really enjoy that environment where you can play a little bit and toss stuff out and and get a a live reaction to what you're doing as opposed to imagining how people actually see it. So you get sitcoms in that you get more of an opportunity to really play with your gut and play off the the energy that you that you're getting back so uh, when you look back over your career is there a specific role that stands out to you as a challenging one that you lost sleep over i'll tell you the most challenging role i ever did was lenny in mice of men that i did when i was with the antius theater company and it's one of those roles that everybody your whole career goes you know you should be playing that and it's one of those roles where you spend your time watching other people doing it and being maybe a little critical of how they went about it so when it falls to you to do it it's like oh okay well put up or shut up and did mm-hmm. i you know i mean it's really one of those okay this is i really need to sort of live up to the moment of this and when i did it thank god i had uh, this uh, director frank dwyer who directed me and uh, thank god he was there because he really helped me get from a to b and really really helped me find that character and find the sweet spot and acting off a friend of mine tuck milligan it's just one of those situations where you absolutely have to trust the person that you're looking at on stage and tuck made that it's one of the it's it's certainly one of the more as terrifying as it was to take that on. It was it was really one of the most satisfying things that I've done. How old were you when you did that role? Oh, let's see. Well, I'm 33 now. So, uh, <laughs> how old was I when I did that? When did we do that? That was. I had to be 30-something, early 30s, I think, when I did it. So what is the best acting advice you've received and who gave it to you? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't remember exactly who told it to me. It's something that I've certainly passed on to other actors sort of when I... Uh, when I do talks and workshops and and that sort of thing is you really have to throw your ego out the window and just open yourself up to potential failure. (laughs) 
Ego's nasty in the way that it will will intimidate you to try and control things as opposed to allowing yourself to open up and be vulnerable and, and take risks. You have to be in a position where, my God, you certainly can't consider yourself any better than anybody else that you're working with. And you need to be open to fall flat on your face and be open to criticism. I mean, don't, if you've got a glass jaw, this is not the business for you. People are going to, boy, especially now in the days of social media, people are going to, people just feel free to say anything. To Everybody's you. got an opinion. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. So that's really the best advice is just keep the ego in check uh, and just be humble and open about what's going on. And it will open up worlds for you. That's good life advice. Yeah. And yeah. that too, that too, it applies and it applies in a lot of things that I do. Yeah. So Eric, you seen any movies that have moved you recently? Oh, you know what I saw just saw was always moon age daydream. Oh my God. God, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Any artist should be lucky enough to have just that kind of, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's more an experience than it is a biography. It's really an amazing movie. Absolutely blew me away. Moon Age Daydream. It's a compilation of, it's really just sort of Bowie talking about himself through old interviews and that sort of thing. And then uh, just a lot of footage that you've really sort of never seen before and footage that you have, concert footage, but just an amazing man and an amazing life. I mean, you will walk out of there feeling like you have never lived. That's the one downside. <laughs> you will, you will go. Hi, hoy, I haven't, I haven't done anything. <laughs> so that's the last thing I see, and it's really, it's, it's one of the few things I've seen that have, that has left that kind of lasting impression. You know what I watched was the Netflix thing, the Stephen King novella, Mr. Harrington's Phone. Yeah, it just came out on Netflix. Yeah, I just, I just watched it last night, and I, I really liked it. It, it really has like stand by me vibes oh wow um, it's i've not watched it yet but it's on it's, my list uh, it's really good i i had no idea what to expect going into it i honestly i hadn't read the short story but it was really good i really enjoyed it really enjoyed it is it a series or a movie no it's just a movie just a one-off gotcha gotcha i had to check that uh, out but i really uh i really quite uh i really quite enjoyed it it's trying to think of something to compare it to but uh, i can't i guess i guess stand by me you just it's that it's really just sort of there's a lot to relate to in it stand by me is definitely my jam i'm gonna have to check that out yeah well, speaking of movies, <laughs> movies are a sensory experience. I like to bring it full circle. What's your favorite thing to snack on when you're watching a movie? Just to just oh it my goodness, uh, <laughs> I'm a huge Milk Duds fan. Me too. Okay. Huge Milk Duds. I don't do the Milk Duds in the popcorn thing. Right, uh, it's too much. I, I like to keep them separate. Yeah. But I mean, if it's just something to crunch on, popcorn always. But Milk duds, anything to do with with uh, with uh, with caramel, please. <laughs> any, any any day, any time. So, Eric, before we let you go here, what's on the horizon for you? Is there anything you can tell us about uh, without getting in trouble? The, just the Connors is coming up. Don't want to jinx it, but I think I have something coming up in the fall. Everything's still coming back from COVID. The industry is absolutely not what it was two years ago. They're still foolish enough to hire me, so I'll, I'll keep <laughs> going up. We'll keep watching. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 
Eric, it's been a, been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you so much for giving oh, us you your too. time. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right, man. You have a good evening. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye. Bye. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Eric. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.